great. Love it. Okay, so another episode of what we saw last night. We, we got with us uh, Brett from Museum of Home Videos. He's going to be doing a show in, in Philly. We're going to get into all that lovely stuff. Brett, uh, can you please introduce yourself? Well, thanks, guys. Um, my name is Brett Berg, and I do a weekly live stream called Museum of Home Video. Uh, it's a found footage variety show. I like to say it's for stoners, seekers, archivists, and drinkers. Chances are, if you're watching at any point, you're at least one, if not two or three of those four. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be at Philomoca on uh, October 15th doing a show called Ring Ring, a doorbell cam Fantasia. And it's a uh, doorbell cam compilation. <laughs> um, it's pretty spooky. You know, one one part of it is about all the weird stuff that people do in front of ring cameras. Another part of it is about the privacy concerns of such stuff. And then another part of it is about the weird um, uh, subculture of people on YouTube who are doorbell cam compilers. The people that add music and sound effects and narration and sometimes too much context to a clip. So I'm before we get into the moral questions, I'm not one of those people. I'm one of those like I'm one of the viewers because occasionally I do like watching a compilation of doorbell videos. I find them sometimes they're just really funny. There was like a period of time where I would look for like just pizza delivery fails. um, (laughs) So I'm like really excited for this. Um, We'll we'll get started. Uh, We got two warm up questions, both of them horror movie themed too, because it's October and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your, and then we're going to go around round Robin. I guess we'll start with Brent. What are your uh, top like, must watch movies for the Halloween season, like something that you would like go back to year by year. Oh, wow. Well, I guess, um, one from my childhood and one from recently, the one from childhood is Halloween three season of the witch. It's endlessly fascinating. It's endlessly silly. It's it's impeccable craftsmanship and just ridiculous stupidity. So I, I, and I, I saw it before I was even into horror movies because I came into horror movies really as a fan in my thirties because I know a lot of people who are horror fans did it from childhood onwards, but I hated horror as a kid. I was too scared, but somehow uh, here in LA where I grew up, channel five, KTLA, they would just rerun Halloween three into the ground, not just at Halloween time, just throughout the year. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah. So that one's always a go-to. And then more recently uh, I am in love with Messiah of evil. I don't know if any of you have seen. Oh, this I love that movie. I just watched that. Well, I rewatched it recently. It's actually really good yeah i'm I'm super into it and my day job it's now no full disclosure my day job is with american genre film archive or agfa for short and uh we are doing a theatrical re-release of this film imminently for its 50th anniversary however it's one that we have been waiting to do something with for years and years and i'm so stoked so there you have it oh that's awesome enrique you go uh all right so when i i remember uh, it was probably 1998. Uh, I was still a little puppy, probably about eight years old, nine years old. There was a so my my friends my my friends would always uh, try to get me to watch horror, and I would like, oh no, I watch it at home. You know, I got all the best ones, but I didn't really watch it because I was always scared of stuff. And the one movie that I do remember watching up with through peer pressure, and it's embarrassing now to kind of think about it, but the one movie I. I was peer pressured into watching uh, Don't Look Under the Bed. 
and it had to do with the boogeyman. Basically, like your imaginary friend, you know, once you stop believing in your imaginary friend, it turns into the boogeyman. And for some reason, I won't give specifics. I'm not going to, I'm not saying I had an imaginary friend at like eight, nine years old, but for some reason that like concept really scared me. And, but I had people over and they're like, oh, let's watch this movie. So I fell into peer pressure. And I, up to this day, and I'm not being silly or anything, but up to this day, I still don't let my feet dangle off of the bed uh, <laughs> for that reason. And we just saw another Boogeyman movie recently, the, well, The Boogeyman, uh, a few months ago. And just kind of going back to the trauma of watching that Disney Channel movie that's not even really actually it's actually pretty scary for a Disney Channel movie. It's... Well, for like for like a Disney movie that that you know was meant was like targeted to like elementary to like younger middle school kids, it was actually kind of scary and it was goofy too at the same time. But I don't know. Up to this day, that's the one movie that kind of like I still watch it. And I mean, obviously, I'm not scared of the movie now, but I still watch it. Because it reminds me of just how tough I had to pretend I was sitting around. Like, like one of my cousins was there. He's a little older, probably like uh, I think he's three years older. So like he has some of his friends over, and I just had to pretend to be tough. And that is one that I watch every single year during this time. But a one that I've started recently watching, going on three years now, is Who Be Halloween. I don't know what it is about that movie. I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. I don't I I don't I can't explain why I love that movie so much. I there's not really like one thing about it. I just cannot not watch it if that makes sense. <laughs> it's it's one of those movies that yeah. ever since it came out, I watch it religiously at least once a week. Wow, once a week. So are you uh, that big of a Sandler fan in general or just Hubie Halloween? I'm just Hubie Halloween. <laughs> like, I don't even... Which is wild. I mean, there's some great Sandler films. Yeah, there is. Like, I, I, I like Adam Sandler films. You watched all his other films and you're like, eh, it's fine. And then Hubie <laughs> Halloween came out. You're like, this is something different. Like, this is something I, really. and I love... There's tons. I mean, there's a lot of Adam Sandler films. Like, why am I drawing a blank? Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. I was gonna say Happy Madison, but that's his thing. Happy Gilmore is like one of my favorite movies. But if I put them side by side, I don't know what it is. Who be Halloween is just it, it. It would beat it out. It beats it out. Big Daddy. It beats it out. And these are like movies that I'm like, wow, these movies are great movies. And for some reason, someone says, "Did you see Who be Halloween?" I'm like, oh shit, yeah, no, that's way better than those other movies. So those are the two. That uh, for whatever reason, I just religiously watch. Hoobie Halloween is a once a week throughout the year thing. So I I can attest to that. Yeah, so I, you, I know. Do you put it on in the background while you're cleaning the house, like some people put on Thirty Rock or? or yeah. But I have to at least once a week. It needs to be on. Uh, whether I'm like paying attention a hundred percent, like so when I edit the podcast. Uh, most of the time when I edit the podcast, I have Hoobie Halloween on. 
Wow. I mean, you know, I, this is actually the first time that I've heard anyone speak of the movie since it hit Netflix <laughs> years ago. Uh, I, I'm really refreshed by hearing that because um, you you managed to make something which seems maybe impersonal seem so personal. Yeah, I and I, I I don't know how to explain it because I don't think there is an explanation. I just there's something about that damn movie that I just <laughs> it's, I don't know. If it comes on TV, I will not turn off the TV. Like I won't. Change. It doesn't come on TV. It's on Netflix. You put it on. <laughs> right, right. I put it on. So I don't when change. you select it on Netflix and hit play. Yeah, I don't change it. Well, here, yeah. here's, an, here's another question. Um, because Netflix has an algorithm and because you're watching it so much, is it just constantly recommending it to you? So sometimes, it yeah. It has to be. But I think, so, he, so here's my theory. I honestly think they, because I can't find it now. So I honestly, I think they're tired. Of search the, it? Yeah, well, I got to like search it, search it. But I don't, th- I don't, th- I think it's tired of me looking it up. Netflix will do the thing where it's like, oh, do you want to rewatch? But then I feel like after you rewatch it like five times, ten times, it's like surely they don't want to see it again. Like you know, you know how you know how you leave, you know, you get done and Hulu's like, are you still watching? Like when I every time I look up Poopy Halloween and I click play, it's like, are you sure? A screen comes up and it's like, are you sure? <laughs> and I gotta go through like a series of questions like seriously and, and it's just like yes 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 and then i watch it and because it's on netflix there's no possible home video release there's no disc you can buy of it that's, that that's the disappointing part because yeah. like, i feel like i feel like you would definitely get the disc I, oh if 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 he said there's a limited release or he's adam sandler's like i'm physically selling 30 copies, I'm there. Wherever he's at, I'm there. <laughs> You're right. I, like I said, yeah. Sorry. I'm not even that big of a fan of Adam Sandler. I, it's just, for whatever reason, it's just that movie. Huh. I can picture you at Sotheby's in London, and the gavel comes down. It's like, 570,000 pounds for Hubie Halloween. Those <laughs> two. Yep. <laughs> I'll be right there with my hand up. Yep. Uh, Julia, what are, what are yours? So I really don't have specific things that I rewatch every year. Every year I just try to go back and rewatch like a classic movie or like I try to rewatch horror movies, but I don't, I definitely don't rewatch like the same thing year after year. I try to switch it up. But this year specifically, I plan to rewatch The Exorcist and also Rose Red because it just got on Hulu. Mm. And I'm very excited about that. Season of the Witch, Halloween three was was gonna be my answer. Oh shit! Um, yeah, no, no, like that that like took hold of me as a when I first saw it. I love that movie. Um, it made me. I I don't know. It's just something about it. I love the mask mm-hmm. and, and the stupid like the stupid jingle they play. Like it gets stuck in my head for like months. That and um, Vincent Price's uh, House on Haunted Hill. Um, I just for some reason I love that movie. I'll, I'll watch that with like my parents. Like, we'll make time sometime during this month, and I'll like go over and we'll watch that. All right, we're gonna move on. Um, this was a half baked idea warm up question. All right, so you have to pick one monster, entity, or villain from uh, a movie that's going to terrorize the city you live in for twenty four hours, and you're stuck in that in the city you live in for twenty four hours. Who do you pick? <laughs> 
it could be like whatever you want to get out of this. Like, do you want to survive it? Um, I want to be very, very slowly stalked by Bella Lugosi. I, I want him. I want to. I want to casually walk across the street, and then I want him to casually appear. <laughs> and uh, I want him to casually appear for everybody simultaneously in Los Angeles. That would be really wild if we had a mass Bella Lugosi event. Yeah, we like that would call that would mess up the mental health like for like years to come. The yeah. all the ther- like that would be a, a very wild event. <laughs> just Bella Lugosi appearing at random times for everybody yeah I feel like half the populace of LA is already seeing Bella Lugosi and freaking out at random intervals so um, it wouldn't be much of a change but it would be it would be a change from like the zombie apocalypse this would just be the casual 1930s vamp apocalypse ooh nice a very classy one too <laughs> you're, you're really classing up your your, your apocalypses <laughs> I'm just so tired of zombies. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, Enrique, who do you got? I don't know. So, you're so you're saying I can pick one creature, one villain from any horror, and they're gonna terrorize. You said 24 hours. Yeah, and it can be more if you want. Like, okay. Uh, Follow up question: Are they terrorizing Bridgeton or are they terrorizing Philly? <laughs> Your choice. Ooh, okay. So I would get mm, Uncle Scrooge isn't a villain, is he? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you look at it through the lens of all bi- billionaires should be guillotine, then yes, he's a villain. He just goes around Bridgeton like Bob Humbug. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you know what? I think in a city as... as big but also like as i guess tight as philly because it's like one big one big square i would probably do like um i don't know i i feel like you have if if it's going to terrorize the whole city of philly it would have to be something fast you know that can kind of like you won't get like a jason would probably take three blocks and then it's 24 hours you know like you don't want nothing like that. He would that. take everyone out on those three blocks. Right, but then there's like another hundred blocks and everybody's just like, just don't be on those three blocks. I would say probably like um what's a fast what's a fast creature? A lemur. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. Um Cheetah. Okay, Cheetah. I I would Monster. I would Godzilla. Get, no, God God's well, maybe in Okay, no. He takes big steps. Yeah. He's not like fast, but he's got a long stride. Yeah, that's true. I I think I think I'm going to go if it's terrorizing the city of Philly, I'm going to go with I'm going to just change it all up. I'm going to go with uh Predator. Ooh. Yeah. No no one survives in the city. Yeah, he already destroyed <laughs> the thing is he already destroyed LA. So <laughs> Well, he's just got a blueprint for how to do it in Philly. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So I feel like he would be able to get in and out, you know, get in, handle <laughs> his business, and then he'll be out. Within a day, He's he's the whole city's destroyed. But I think in Bridgeton, I would do Uncle Scrooge from the – that's what it's called, right? From the DuckTales? Yes, Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, like, Scrooge McDuck? Yeah, Scrooge McDuck, yeah. 
Well, he's kind of like a wizard. He he swims through metal. He's got a vault of coins that he swims. Yeah, through. he would yeah. just he would suffocate them in their coins. Okay, so not like the man, like specifically that version. Him as a duck. Him as a duck. Yeah. Well, because he cause, he just has agency. He has too much agency over the rest of us, and he just causes chaos. All the time. He would. The thing is, it's a small town, and if you tell anyone, like, "Oh, I I'll give you a thousand dollars," they'll. They won't question it. They'll just be like, oh, hell yeah, I'll go. And then, I mean, I don't know what he would do. That's the thing. Does he terrorize or does he just go around and say, I he, hate Christmas? He, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, I, he would have to figure it out himself. Okay. He take you from your, fire you from your job, I guess. I don't know. I, I've got it. You know, he, he, Scrooge McDuck is such a great businessman. So the time honored horror movie trope of, like meat pies, Texas chainsaw, human chili stuff. So he would create like a chain of restaurants that were just human meat. And he's just harvesting all of Philly for his yeah. chain of chili restaurants. <laughs> yeah. So it's like whatever your favorite restaurant is. Now it's, it's now, now it's people from Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> Soylent Philly. <laughs> yeah. Like, wah, wah, wah. Or I don't know how he talks, but yeah. Okay. So those are my two answers. All right. What were we supposed to give two answers or just one? No, we just gave two in two places. So I'm specifically picturing the scene in I forget which of the recent Halloween movies it is. Halloween kills, maybe whatever the one is. Ends. The last one was ends. You know what the scene where everyone has like all of like the townspeople have like random items as weapons with like they come out of their houses to like beat the shit out of Michael Myers, except you look in the crowd and people are holding like an iron, a blender. So I'm envisioning like the citizens of Lindenwald with like, I, no one would survive, but I want to see the citizens like fight Michael Myers. And I want to see what random household items they would bring to. (laughs) They would get like raid bottles. (laughs) Um, for like cockroaches and uh, probably like pots, pans, your typical, typical stuff. I I would I would like to see so like Philadelphia would not handle this situation well. I, I would like to see us with like either just like the blob, or mm. yeah yeah no like I, I think like the blob like it would destroy Philadelphia. You know we don't handle adversity very well here. So like the whole city would just crumble. That or or I really like the idea of predator. Like because there would be there's enough people that would think they could stand a chance that like, you know what? Yeah, they would fight they would try to fight back. And it would just it would be there'd be bodies everywhere, it'd be a mess. Mm-hmm. The thing is, everybody needs to prove they're tough, especially, you know, in a big city. And I just feel like Predator would take on all of their challenges. Yeah, use the the predator. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm still kind of rolling that choice around in my mind, and it's very good. I like that you said that. <laughs> the predator. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, uh, how was Austin? Um, I don't know when we when I was emailing you, you said that you you had a an event in Austin. Um, so oh, first and foremost, oh yeah, that was Fantastic Fest, which happens yeah. every September in Austin at uh, one of the Alamo Draft House locations. Um, so I went out for the festival, but I didn't actually watch any movies. I just ended up oh. hanging out with people. But, but really, that sounds the, like fun. 
sometimes it's more fun than the movies. I hear the movies were fun this year, but I just end up schmoozing with folks because my day job involves a lot of working with home video labels and movie theaters in different places. So I feel like a lot of those folks were just around at the festival. It was great. It was um, hot as balls, but you know, <laughs> as uh, Texas is. Yes, Texas is. And this and Austin is very much in the center of the state ge- geographically. Um, it was great. I got to see the rest of my work team in person for the first time in a while. Um, got to eat a whole lot of barbecue. They have a new tiki bar around the corner from where the festival is at. So yeah, nice. it's a good place. Could you give us like an overview of Museum of um, Home Videos? I've seen a, a one or two like of your streams and mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it to people. That's funny. I sometimes don't either. And that's been one of my big challenges. Is I, everything in my life is it, that I've come up with is too difficult to describe. So I have to get better at it. So the best I can do at the moment is Museum of Home Video is a weekly live stream that is kind of a cross between the college radio vibe and um, and a Twitch streamer and Weird Al's UHF kind of piled in. Love UHF. I love UHF too. It was like hugely formative. The idea that you could just start your own TV station, you know, just have it tumble out of your own head has always been very attractive to me and I was able to pull it off. So originally this was supposed to be a live show in LA every Saturday afternoon. And I had it all set up and it was going to start in June of 2020. So because we didn't start it, we ended up pivoting to Twitch because um, it was free to use. And it just seemed to be pretty robust. And it was one of, it was the best streaming platform I could find. So we started every Tuesday in July of 2020. And ever since then, on Tuesdays, I, I do... It's like two to three hours of found footage. If you're familiar with Everything is Terrible, it's kind of adjacent to that style. But what I usually investigate is the history of showbiz. Specifically, old commercials, music videos, old late-night talk show appearances... Um, I'll take a movie that I think is kind of dull and I'll cut it down to 12 minutes so that it's less dull. <laughs> um, nice. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I sort of VJ it up like an old MTV VJ would. And I come on camera once every 30 minutes and I say, this is what you saw and this is what you're going to see. And it's a, fuck, it's a fuck ton of fun. Yeah, I was like, how much prep work goes into that? Because, like, I, I in my head, you're either, it's either a lot or, or, or a little. I feel like it has to be a lot. It is a lot, but um, I don't think of it as work. It During the lockdown era, especially, it was my video therapy. Day to day, I was like, what am I doing? Oh, right, I have to edit this thing. And it just became grounding for me. And I, I've, I've seen how a couple hours worth of funny footage can, you know, make people smile. So I keep doing it because of that. Because it also makes me smile and it, it kind of makes me investigate all the things I used to be into when I was a kid and what the world was like then and what the world's like now. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. Like, what, how do you like decide what material goes in or like even like come up with like, like what goes in, in the show versus like stuff that goes out? Do you ever like, is there ever like something that's like, this isn't going to fit, but I'm going to throw it in? <laughs> uh, it's well, it's a very complicated process. It's if I find it boring then it doesn't make it if i think it's fun i just put it in but i happen to have this attention span where um well i watch everything in adobe premiere for the first time 
I'm like ready to edit the second that I start watching something for the first time. And then the second it gets kind of boring, I hit pause, I make an edit point, and then I hit play again. And when it stops being boring, I make another edit point. And then I just get rid of the boring chunks and just collapse the rest of it. Now, sometimes it's turning a movie into 12 minutes and it creates a certain kind of um, quasi psychedelic effect, I guess, if you're paying too, too much attention. But uh, I also like to think of it as is everyone's here seen from beyond the Stuart Gordon movie. Yes, I, mean, okay. I have. OK, so imagine the Jeffrey Coombs glandular like like the little yeah. guy that pops out that like activates when he goes totally nuts. So that's what I hope you would you feel like when you're watching my show. <laughs> so I don't know if I achieve that for everybody, but people come back every week and watch it. So something's happening. I was gonna, like, I have, oh, go, go, go. Again. No, I was going to say, I, I do like the idea of taking a movie and just taking out all the boring parts. Because <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but it's controversial I guess to like only like one part of a movie, you know, cause then it's just like, well, you didn't, I guess I, I just made that up probably, but you did. like, for example, like we went to go see uh, Oppenheimer. Uh, so I probably found maybe 13 minutes of the movie, super interesting. And then another, maybe 10 or so that were just like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And the other three hours were just like a big waste of my time. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of, I guess it's because like people put in so much work to, you know, get these things together. But I got this thing where like, if something's too artsy fartsy, I just can't, it just doesn't pique my interest. And I feel like that's where those boring parts come in. So I think it's cool. The concept of like taking out all those boring parts and just making like a 15 minute trailer of the movie, like mm-hmm. clip notes. Mm-hmm. And it's, and uh, if you put a hundred people in a room and you gave all of them Adobe premiere or whatever editing software you use, and you gave them the same movie, all 100 versions would be different from each other, you know, cause it's what, yeah. I, what, pe- what pushes people's buttons is just different, you know? Right. And, and I think that would be interesting, like to see, a hundred and I mean maybe not a hundred, maybe on maybe maybe like twenty versions of something. Yeah. Um that that would be um actually like super interesting. Um wh- what do you mean by download culture? I saw that on the, your bio on um Oh yeah. Well I guess it's kind of dated now because the idea of torrenting and downloading music and movies is kind of generational, I found. Um, um, like Gen Z, I don't think is torrenting as much as me and my late Gen X peers say. Um, so I mean, uh, using the internet as like a constant pipeline of things to improve your life. You know, it might be a a 70s sci-fi movie from the pirate Bay, or it could be that album that isn't on Spotify, but it's on soul seek. So you get it on SoulSeek. Just being able to navigate the online world in a way where you, um, I don't know, you're you're, okay. fucking, you're a pirate. Like, I think that yeah, media, yeah. media companies now are so bloated. This whole uh, SAG and um, WGA strikes thing was because the people at the top are literal billionaires. 
So they do not need any more of your money. I think it's really important to pay money to pay a ticket to see something in a theater. But if it's between torrenting it and then paying two ninety nine on Apple, guess which one I'm going to do. I, I like that a lot. Yes. Um, so back in the day of Napster, do you, did you ever like, I mean, cause like I had that like rush of like, man, am I getting the thing that I think I'm getting or am I getting something else? Yeah. <laughs> like, like that was just like, that was a lot of fun. I was like, man, I'm downloading the music video for like Master P. Am I getting that or am I getting porn? And if I get porn, my mom will kill me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think so few, nobody on any of the torrent or peer-to-peer sites anymore. No one has any time for that. So <laughs> people are more interested in building their platonic ideal of a collection where they have every last thing they ever wanted and it's categorized and it's in folders and a folder tree that makes sense. You know, I don't know. The pirate's life is kind of fun. <laughs> the, and like, we, we've talked to like a lot of people on the podcast that, and, and I talked, I guess, like just in general life, um, care about like this preservation of media. And like, there's like some people that generally have like a concern that some things that were made in the seventies or in the past that may not um, hold up well today will be gone or erased from, you know, like the digital platform. So like, I think like there's a lot of people that care about like the preservation of um, media. Absolutely. And without armchair archivists who populate torrent sites, so much of what I deal with on my show, but just kind of like a lot of stuff you see on YouTube would just be utterly lost to time. No way to ever see it. So I applaud anyone who um, figures out how to save something that's kind of important to them. Yeah. You know? and, and I think it's it's fascinating because um, so this week at Philomoka, which is the venue you're going to be at, mm-hmm. is um, our, our friend, a friend of the show, Tim, is doing his um, tapes from the crypt. And he's real big into like preservation media through VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's fascinating that in, like a week like later, you'll be there and, and like you, you, you take the digital aspect of it. So like, I think <laughs> yeah. it's like the two very polar opposites, but similar goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also applaud anyone who uh, regularly rips tapes. I don't have, um, I don't have a VCR. I don't have a DVD or Blu-ray player. Um, I just have my laptop. And uh, so I don't have, a, like if I, if I had to rip every tape, to then make the show that you would see every week, there wouldn't be a show because I would be spending too much time doing that. Um, it's easier for me. There's this incredible tool, this piece of software, it costs 50 bucks. It's called 4K Video Downloader. And you can not only cut and paste a YouTube URL into it and it just immediately sucks it down, you can paste the entire channel's URL and it will grab every last video on the channel at once. So that's this kind of speed and scale that I have to work at if I want to make the kind of how fast paced my show is, you know, but, uh, but I do applaud all the tape rippers because they're the ones whose work I'm piggybacking on. Nice. It's a team effort. And I think there's a lot of, like you said, armchair archivists that are like, that care a lot about this. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask uh, me and my colleagues who work at Agfa because it is an archive. Um, they ask, how do I get into the archival field? And what we usually say is, well, be stubbornly, ridiculously passionate about something and then go about saving it. And then you've got your start. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
when did that start for you? Uh, I feel like I started with books when in junior high I discovered that you could get them at the uh, thrift store. <laughs> and I just kind of obsessively <laughs> collected uh, paperbacks. Um, and then they moved into LPs in my senior year. It was the late 90s. It was the absolute nadir of interest in vinyl collecting, which is so funny to think of now. Um, yeah. And so I, I amassed something like 2,000 or 2,500 records within a few years. And then the second I saw someone use an iPod when they were DJing, out at a place i was like oh fuck i'm no more records for me um and then it started kind of right around that time 20 years ago is when i started um ripping dvds and downloading things downloading video from the internet and trying to i didn't really understand why i was amassing all this stuff my joke to myself was oh it'll when i retire i'll get to watch all of it <laughs> so um i have about 50 terabytes worth of TV and film. And when, <laughs> when 2020 happened, suddenly everyone was semi-retired. So ironically, that's when I really dove in for the first time in like a every day I'm going to focus on this fashion. But before I, um, before I did Museum of Home Video, I was a film programmer at a venue in LA called CineFamily. And we did a lot of cutting our own trailers and making found footage shows for ticketed audiences because it was fun. And so I just transposed that onto this. That's kind of a long answer to your question. So it's been about 20 years since I've been collecting video. <laughs> no, no, no. That's like, that's pretty cool. That is a, a lot. And yeah. it, it, it seems like you just have like a pattern. Yeah. Um, and, but, and, and again, it's not like, well, maybe you have to be ridiculously passionate about something, but then there's a kind of unconscious quality. Like before you know it, you have an archive on your hands. Well, here's the thing. Collecting in general I feel it's a lost art. Mm -hmm. No one, I mean, the times have changed. Everything's different. You know, 90% of everything you can do and get is digital. When I was in college, one of my professors was explaining to me that you can 3D print an apple on like apple flavored paper, like a uh, plastic, I meant. You can do so many other things digitally and it's like collecting is like, no one collects things. I mean, we, you know, we collected Pokemon cards. We collected seed. I mean, I had like over, I, at one point I had over like 45 CDs in my eighth grade year that I bought throughout the year. Oh, and wow. I was, that was in one year. So um, between my mom and I, they're mainly mine, but between my mom and I, we have over a thousand movies like that, like physical movies. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you tell people, oh, man, I like, I, I remember when I told someone, oh, man, I can't wait until the Batman comes out so I can buy it. And they're like, for what? It's going to be on HBO. I don't care. You know, I, I, I want to buy the physical copy. I may never see it, but I need to buy the physical copy because that's how much I enjoyed that movie. And you don't, you just don't get that, like, the, you just don't get that, like, feeling of, People just, people just don't want to collect anymore. They don't want to take the time and invest, you know, the work that it takes to just to collect, I guess. Everything is so on demand in our lives that it, it doesn't feel that strange to me that people have strayed away from collecting. I mean, it was always like a, a specific art. Not everybody did it. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean in that it's like, 
people focus on one thing only that they collect mm-hmm. instead of being into books and movies and music and art and fashion and all those things. Uh, yeah, we're just in an age where no one knows what anyone's doing anymore. I think it's a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited because I got my ticket for um, Ring Ring. So, like, what, what, what should the viewer expect going into this? Or should we just go into this cold? Um, what? Well, I mean, I, I, the Ring Ring is the centerpiece. It's 40 minutes long. That's kind of all you need of that vibe. So right you won't you're not missing out by not having 80 minutes of it um <laughs> you know and also because my weekly show my weekly live stream is a variety show where there's several different acts that yeah. i put on and different feels so you're going to be creeped out and, and sketched out by the the ring uh camera piece but book and book ending it for 20 minutes on either side are highlights from my weekly live stream and it could nice. uh, it could be uh, Leonard Malton bagging on the movies of 1985 from Entertainment Tonight, which is in there. Uh, it could be um, uh, a cut down of the 1990 Grammys, which I recently did and I've stuck into the show uh, because that was a wild year. That was the year that Millie Vanilli won Best New Artist. Oh, spicy. Yeah. And it's hosted by Gary Shandling. It's very goofy. Like Ozzy Osbourne at one point is applauding in the audience as they do an audience shot, and he looks right in the camera and winks and does like a like a <laughs> like pointed thing towards the camera. It's amazing, um, <laughs> and it uh, it could just be weird commercials that are a little too um, uncomfortable or cinematic or both. So I guess I'm just trying to put you through a little bit of a you know uh, emotional highs and lows of a the same thing you would get from like a roller coaster drama but also a ridiculous comedy. I also feel like commercials aren't commercials anymore. Yes. The yes, styles for commercials have definitely changed in the, in the age of, uh, they need to be five seconds to be stuck in front of uh, a YouTube video that you're watching. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's crazy. Cause it's that, or, or like they'll go all out on the Super Bowl commercial and there's like no in between. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> exactly everything looks like shit or everything looks amazing <laughs> yeah it's gonna be well overdone and it's gonna be like an emotional roller coaster about a dog dying for the super bowl <laughs> and or like Scotland. and then they're trying to sell you like soda it's like man you should really just like grab a coke your dog just died <laughs> you're alone i was like man this this sucks. Well, that roller coaster feeling is definitely why I include commercials in a lot of things that I cut, you know, where natural commercial breaks would occur in a program as we're, you know, the, the old programs that we're watching. Um, because uh, one, people don't really sit and do that anymore. Two, uh, commercials used to be a lot more cinematic. And I think that uh, there's just a lot of interesting filmmaking going on that I like to just throw in there as a as an aside in the middle of while you're watching something else. I love some older commercials. Cause like, I don't know, like occasionally it will come up on like my Instagram feed and I'll look at it and I'll be like, man, did this product sell? <laughs> <laughs> and like, cause like sometimes like, like seeing an older commercial, it, it's just like very wild. And I'm like, man, like who bought this? And then like looking up, sometimes it's like a big hit. Sometimes it's a massive failure. Um, so like yeah, the commercials is gonna be fun. I'm actually I'm actually excited, looking forward to that. Um, 
what was making Ring Ring like? Because you keep like you you said like it's like it's gonna be like spooky, and I'm thinking like all like all the Ring camera footage I've seen is just like very comical. Oh, so like, well, uh, what am I getting? You're gonna see some of extremes of human behavior. Okay, good. Um, some folks seem genuinely, genuinely um, unwell, but other folks seem just wasted. There's a lot of unexplained behavior where you will qu- basically question humanity as you're watching it. Uh, and part of the context that the YouTube doorbell cam compilers use is spooky music. So I have added nothing to the music track. That is all just baked into whatever I've found other people compiling and spitting out on YouTube. And it just kind of creates like a cinematic effect, like you're watching a very chilling, suspenseful horror movie. And it's very funny, too. I, I, I make sure to modulate every spooky moment with like a, a fail, you know, like, oh, there is nice. a, yes. a, a, uh, there's one fail in it that always makes me laugh. It's a guy on a... Um, uh, what were the things where uh, a Segway? He's on a Segway, <laughs> and then he just like crashes into someone's front. He's like a he's a delivery guy for somebody, and he just crashes the Segway into the front door of this house. He's like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> so I'll alternate. No, oh, that, that's that's pretty awesome. I'm I'm, I'm really excited. You know, you, you go into this like you're watching these these things, and it's like you know this is like everyday human behavior. So, like, it shouldn't be shocking because you know, we are humans and we all interact with other humans every day. So, but, like, I do think it's always fascinating, you know, like, the polar opposites of human behaviors where you're catching a, a moment in time of someone, like, they could be having the worst day of your life and we're getting 15 seconds of it <laughs> as they, like, expl- and, like, and, like, they don't know me. They'll never, we'll never meet. And I'm, I'm watching, you know, they're, they're lowest and I'm probably like three beers deep in Philomoka, like eating <laughs> popcorn. So like, I'm very excited. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm so stoked to be doing this at Philomoka. Uh, you all have maybe don't have any idea that it is possibly the best DIY venue set up in the country. It is just so I, sick. The number of people you can fit in there, and the way that he can do video, that Eric can do video projection in a certain size, and it's all very good. Oh, that's cool. have you been there before? Yeah, I um, I went out to Philly for a wedding a few years ago, and then I uh, connected with Eric while I was there because he's because uh, my day job is to sell a theatrical library of horror films to venues for their um, for their horror movie shows, and um, people know Agfa as a Blu-ray label, which is a great deal of what we do. But then we also do this kind of like business to business thing where we are a distributor of movies to theaters. And so I've known Eric cause he's booked movies for me over the years. Oh, cool! So it was really exciting is- to, uh, yeah, to meet him in Philly when I was out there for a wedding, I don't know, five years ago. And oh, that's showed- awesome. Yeah. I, I, and he's great. And the venue is just like I said, it's fucking sick. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I took Enrique there when Enrique first moved into Philly um, we went to see a presentation on the song Who Let the Dogs Out (laughs) yeah it was called Who Let Who Let the Dogs Out oh that's so good who okay so who is Who Let Who Let the Dogs Out what what person made that so I forget I forget the name of the guy 
But I, I remember this. So I, I knew Pat just a little bit from work, maybe for like a year. And I knew Pat was a little like strange. <laughs> and I think like, not strange, but you know, I knew Pat I was like, he was into like, he's open-minded. So I said, all right, cool. You know, I, I'll go with you. I need to learn the city. And the guy basically was given a, he gave us an hour and a half presentation on how the Baja men stole who let the dogs out from some nineties Miami base group. But he went like, he went through like maybe 30 different people that use like the tune. They use the, who let the dogs out the who, 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 like he just went down and basically how all of that was combined. It was, it was fascinating that he took the time to do this. And that was like my first experience in Philomoca and it was a packed house. I mean, we had to sit upstairs because the whole downstairs was full. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I just really do applaud that place because they bring in so many different things that wouldn't get a venue or a, uh, like a place. And the people, the community that supports Philomoca is like the best because it's people who are like, oh man, like they care about like independent art or independent, like different like movies that would, might not make theaters or movies that are, aren't that popular. Last week we saw The Boogeyman 1980. Mm-hmm. Oh, he booked um, that for me. That was oh, one, nice. That's in the Agfa Theatrical. We, one of the labels we deal with is Vinegar Syndrome. So that one. Oh, is. nice. I love Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was like a fun time. So like, you know, I'm super, like every time I get to go there, even though it's right down the street from where I live, um, super exciting to go and I think it's awesome that like other people acknowledge it for like how cool it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, yeah I, I had not done a show there but he just took me on a Eric Bressler who runs it took me on a tour yeah. of the venue and even without people in it I was really impressed because I as someone who has done a lot of like movie presenting at theaters it's, it was just a great feel. I could picture a hundred plus people in the room in a certain layout. Anyways, it's a great place. Yeah. So like, you guys are like constantly, like, you're like constantly doing things. Um, what, what's coming up for you in the future? Um, well, I'm going to be doing this ring ring show at the Brattle theater in Boston on the 18th. And then I'm going nice. to do it at the Nighthawk prospect park in Brooklyn on the 25th of October. Oh boy. And... East coast swing. Yeah, I mean, so Eric asked me, oh, hey, can I run that show? Because I had done it in L.A. and I had done it at, uh, well, now in Austin I've done it and I've done it at the Overlook Film Fest in New Orleans. So he just said, can I run that at Philomoca? And I said, well, if you're going to run it, I might as well come out for that. And then I said to myself, well, if I'm going to do that, then I might as well set up a New York show. And then I said, oh, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well set up an Austin <laughs> show. And that's how that happened. Nice. That's actually really cool. It's like, oh, I might as well just do like the East Coast. Why not? Yeah, I mean, because um, I knew people in each town, uh, venues to do it at, and I knew uh, places, people to crash with in each town. So, just made sense. What, what's like the biggest thing you've learned from your like archival journey about yourself? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, one thing that I knew going in was that I was babysat by cable TV as a kid. <laughs> Um, and I had a single mom who worked very hard to keep me and my brother alive and afloat. And 
you know, what she did was plunk me in front of cable television, which definitely kept me off the streets. It was fascinating. So that, that I knew going in, but what, what I've gotten out of my archival journey and doing museum of home video for a few years is that there is no end to it. I always think that I've hit a wall with like things that I can uncover and it's, I, I'm proven wrong the next minute because whether it's through YouTube's algorithm or, or the weird collection of people who are congregated on torrent sites, um, I don't know. It's like there, every time I think I've seen every last So Bad It's Good movie, there's another 50 that just get behind <laughs> an open door somewhere. And I, uh, that's what fills me with hope is that there, I can never get jaded about finding all this stuff because there's just no fucking end to the awesome stuff that's out there. Do, do you stay up to date on like modern releases? Like, or, or it's like, you're so in, into like the archival or is it like watching a modern release of like a newer movie is like therapeutic because it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to get better at seeing new stuff because my day job and museum of home video is both archival so sometimes if I want to turn my brain off, like the other month at my boyfriend's house, we watched Dune part one. And I was like, that nice. was a lovely, that was a lovely way to spend three hours just completely disconnecting from needing to watch something with nineties commercials in it. Um, that, that, is, that was like, all, well, not the nineties commercials part, but that was also my take from Dune. I was like, Oh, this was like a fun movie. I like this. Yeah. And I, and I would actually seen, I would actually see part two in a theater. Like I would make time to go see it as an event thing really this this past year has, has floored me with uh getting myself reacquainted with going out to the movies so it started with megan because at the beginning of the year i hadn't seen a new movie for fucking years in the theater it felt like and megan got me out because the trailer was good and uh nice. saw it on a monday night <laughs> in a completely empty theater that i had to pay 22 dollars a ticket for because it was in their premium room for no reason and I, and I loved it. And then I, I somehow Barbie Heimer got me out to see Barbie on opening weekend, which I haven't done since the two thousands. Wow. I mean, do nice. you see, do you, does anybody here see movies on opening weekend anymore in a theater? We, we go every two, like uh, our thing, we go every Tuesday okay. to the movies. Cause that's discount day. Mm-hmm. And we will see that very rarely. If it's either, if there's too many good releases in a weekend, mm-hmm. um, where we have enough points saved up with our Cinemark mm-hmm. like app, we'll go on an opening weekend together. Outside of that, like it has to be like a big release. Last Voyage of the Demeter we saw, not that that was like the largest release. I think it just lined up where it was a Sunday. We had three tickets, so we went. But like, yeah, we, we, we go every Tuesday. I kind of want to see The Exorcist opening weekend, which is this mm-hmm. weekend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if tomorrow. Any... Oh yeah, that would be. Um, well, I, I guess that's, that's probably the best way to see it is with a crowd reacting to it rather than the crickets on the Tuesday with that. Oh, the the, the the Tuesdays get pretty packed. Like five dollar movie tickets. It, it's mm-hmm. like we saw saw last Tuesday and. It was, I would say, like seventy percent filled. Oh, that's pretty good for a two. What was the showtime like? Nine forty-five. Eight. Eight. Oh, wow! In the prime round, that's good to see. Because yeah, normally that stuff drops off after the opening weekend. 
the funny thing yeah. is I can't I, I I do not know anybody in my life anymore who goes on opening weekend. I I went to I went to see a Phantom Menace um the Phantom Menace uh when it first came out on opening weekend. Uh-huh. And since that movie I haven't missed a Star Wars movie on opening day. Ah. Yeah, so I think yeah, no. Every single one, like everyone that came out, and then there was that brief period, and then 2015, I think it was, they started coming back out. Yeah, it was 2015, because... You asked me to see Rogue One, and I called you a fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. here we are. Yeah. Yeah. You, you came up, you were like, you want to see You want to see um, this? And I was like, no, what am I fucking nerd? What do I look like? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Rogue One, so that guy who directed it is this. His new movie is coming out called The Creator. It may wow. have already come out. Yes. Uh, does am I weirdly uncynical these days, or does that look like fun? It seems like a fun movie, but it. Oh yeah, no, no, it looks like a fun like movie. Um, well, I, I want to work it in to us seeing it. Like it's, it's gonna be tough. Maybe we we will see that one of these weekends. I'm petrified of AI. Yeah. So, so am I. Yeah. That's like that's one of the few things that is like genuinely terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of climate change is AI. <laughs> yeah. 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 AI just AI scares me. So any movie and, and it kind of started with with when I first saw iRobot. Mm-hmm. And you know, the whole point of the movie is, oh yeah, these robots they're gonna help you, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that, but then they can get taught after, you know, after their program, they can still get taught. And I, I don't know, AI just, it just threw me off after that. And then all the movies that kind of have that, what was it? Her, was it called her? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her. And, yeah. Yeah. All these movies now that, that have AI just, I, I, I can't do it. I can do it and I do do it, but I can't do it. If that makes sense. <laughs> I, yeah. I, so I, I I share some of the similar sentiments, but I'm also an avid Philadelphia 76ers fan. So I giggle every time um, because AI will always be Allen Iverson, the answer. And there was a meme out, like it was just like AI is going to replace thousands of jobs. And someone like seriously said, why would they do this? Or why would he do this? Because like they like put a picture of Allen Iverson on it. And like the response was, he carried the two thousand and one Sixers. He can carry the whole country. And it's like, all right, you know what? That's true. Yeah. So I will always like giggle a little bit to myself, thinking like, yeah, Allen Iverson, he can he can do whatever you want. <laughs> I'm a little scared of it too. I'm I'm actually the thing I'm most scared of is uh, how billionaires seem to have taken hold of our lives and imaginations. And, yeah. and their wielding of AI, much less any other tool. I'm thinking specifically of Elon Musk and Starlink in the Ukraine. It seems like a bad idea to put that much power in the hands of one person not responsible to a government. Anyway, that's my soapbox. But AI scares no, 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 me. Like, bad. Yeah, like in the, the crevices of it all, it's who, who's in charge of it? Because like. Yeah, like chat GBT could be used to for a person to work two jobs at once. That sounds terrible and, and like a dystopian hellscape that we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's like, no, well, there's people using it to, I mean, like on, on like 
put through like the 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 strikes in Hollywood, like you know that's fucked up. Like you're gonna take the likeliness, the you know like the rights away of the person's like likeliness and use it against them to like profit and how you can use artificial intelligence to make large scale decisions and it's terrifying. Yeah. And I also, just watch basketball. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, there's also the, the weird feeling that all that everyone's ever written on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it's all, and Reddit probably, it's all grist for the AI mill. So AI will learn on all this material because social media sites will just give it away, you know, sell it yeah. or create tools themselves that, that you're helping to fund. It's just, it's a weird thing. And hopefully it's the thing that will kill social media in favor of some other media that people do all day. Because I think that what stands now is, is uh, they're going to, in, in 50, hundred years, they're going to go, well, they could have all just gotten off social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that fascinating. Um, my, my last question for you. Oh, it's a two parter. Um, are, are you going to fill Mocha with like the whole team? Oh, I wish. So I, it's uh, Museum of Home Videos, me and uh, my two team members, my producers, uh, Jenny Nixon and the International Voice of Reason. And the, they do uh, their own separate shows on the channel as well. If you go to museumofhomevideo.com, you can see not just my show, but a whole bunch of shows and we have a Patreon, etc. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully in the future, we're going to try to do like a national tour next year. That's what I'd really like to do. And if we do that, hopefully we will uh, manifest getting more than one of us out on the road as well. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. Because um, uh, like my question was, um, I saw like just on like the bios that Jenny was from Jersey. And <laughs> I was just wondering if you were nervous about being close to Jersey with someone from New Jersey. Because like the closer you get, the, the more they become. Right. Or the more Jersey you get, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, like it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I'm funny enough. I think I'm crashing in, in Jersey, so we'll we'll see what it does to me. Oh, <laughs> um, um, no, I'm not worried about it. But you know why? Because uh, she's lived in L.A. for 20 years, and I think my personal take is if you live in L.A. more than five years, you're an Angelino. So that's all right, that's fine. So I'm going to say uh, it's a it's a draw, <laughs> and all's well. And no, I wouldn't be scared. Um, if I did a show in Jersey, maybe I'd be scared. That's All right, that's fair. Just know that it's called a sub, not a hoagie. Right. <laughs> no, it's called a hoagie. Don't listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm going to eat. Well, okay, where should I eat for the two days? Um, uh, what, what kind of food do you like? I'm I'm omnivorous. I could go any direction. Um, like just in the area of um. The the area of Philomoka, there's a handful of places. There's a handful of like these, like I would say, if you're going for takeout pizza, Wood Street. If you want sit down, you go to Santucci's. Lachinesca, mm-hmm. um, right across oh. the street from Philomoka, has great Asian um, Mexican fusion. Ooh, I like if that. You want, if you want regular um, Mexican, you go to Puerto Pacha. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that place slaps. Um, I mean, Philly's a food city. You you can't like go far without hitting a place that's like really solid. Every place has got really good there. We've got there's like a mass amount of breweries in the um, walking distance from Philomoka. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Triple Bottom, which they actually they signed on a new chef for the uh, month of October. That's like a Asian, Asian Mexican fusion chef that's going to be kind of doing like similar to Chinesca, but also something completely different. I think they're doing like just tacos. Um, that's a brewery. Uh, Love City's pretty solid for if you just want a bunch of beer. Um, Silk City, if you want like a diner, but also want to dance. Mm. Uh, if you're in during the day uh, and you want just cheap, like, diner food, Spring Garden Pizza, which is right next to it's, like, connected to Filamoca, mm-hmm. um, for, like, price-wise, really good. Also, the like, the people in there are super charming. There's going to be this, like, old Portuguese lady who's going to, like talk to you it's, it's a great time um okay so I, I i there were so many names i'll have to listen back to the episode to get the full yeah. uh thing but santucci's looks dope it's kind of like the detroit style but not it's yeah different. it's like a flat if you want a detroit style philly has got two solid ones it's it's out of the way but it's like award-winning it's called down north and then there's one in a bar called um urban and branch mm-hmm. yeah and there's a my, my final food recommendation, just because it's the season, or actually, you know, it would be Reading Terminal Market. Like, I don't know what I'm, like, overcomplicating anything. You go there, that's, like, Philadelphia's pride and joy. You're mm-hmm. eating the city when you go in there. It has every type of food. Do you want Filipino food? They've got it. Do you want, like, anything? They've got it. Okay. Yeah, the, we have a place in LA called Grand Central Market downtown. Yeah. That sounds like the same, same setup. Oh, yeah, down north looks dope. Yeah, it looks good. I need to fuck out all this. It's really good. I can also make you like quesadillas and stuff during the day. <laughs> down to. I love cooking. I worked at a I worked at a um, restaurant for about like six years, uh-huh. and I love cooking. I just don't do it because my day job. It's like seventy hours a week that I work, and I get paid thirty five. So like my my morality is that the word I'm looking for. A morale, probably. Yeah, morale. <laughs> yeah, that thing. It's always so low. <laughs> well, actually, morality would probably be better because your morale is like you're work. You're still working for the man, and morality is like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's both. So both. Yeah. My morale, morality. <laughs> yeah. It's so low. It's it's like I don't cook for myself. So anytime I find an excuse to cook, um, so yeah, you know, feel free to. And it don't have to be quesadillas, you know, if you, <laughs> I can make you a chicken dinner. Um, I make a good chicken marsala. So, you know, that's that. Oh, that does. Oh, that sounds great. I don't know where I'll be except for during the show. Um, I think um, Eric, who runs the venue, he's in, uh, he, he said he moved to Jersey. That's who I'm, that's who I'd be crashing with. So I actually don't know how often I'll be in the city itself, but I would love to meet up with you guys. It sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be at the show. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time coming on out. Of course. I mean, like, I if I'm going on tour, I need to talk to people in the town. So I, this, yeah. is, this is, like, exactly what I wanted to have happen. So thank you for inviting yeah. me. And um, the Ring Ring, it's spooky, but you will, you'll feel okay on the other side of it. <laughs> you know? All right, great. I'm, I'm using that to, like, try to persuade other people to come with me. Tell them it's like a real, it's probably scarier than some horror movies. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, well, it's real. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reason why it's so scary seeming is because often there's no rational explanation for some of the stuff. 
that happens in front of the cameras. Other times there's just, it's too chilling. Cause like someone's approaching the door with an automatic weapon and it's just on a ring camera. But uh, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's an equal amount of funny things in there that will just make it, you know, you, you're buckled in safely. No, sounds good. Yeah, but well, thanks so much. And we'll be seeing you soon. Okay. Yeah. I'll see you guys on the 15th. Yeah. yeah see All right. Okay. Later. See you. See you.